Uh, we've been going through a new series called Ever Wonder Why? And today, we're going to answer the question, why can I not change? Have you ever wondered why I can't get stuck, unstuck, out of these patterns, out of this behavior that sometimes seem to rule and govern our lives? And I think it's an important question that we need to answer for us all, because no one, no one is without the potential of, of getting stuck in these patterns. We all have the potential. It doesn't matter whether you are Nick, Jonathan, even, I dare to say, Omar Ruth. All of us have the inclination to want to sin. We were in Borkness and we were playing a game with the kids called Stuck in the Mud. Have you ever played that game before? Stuck in the Mud? Ours was a little bit different. I, we, I drew a circle, and this was the safety circle. Kids could stay in the circle, and if they were in the circle, they were safe. And, but if they ran out of the circle, they were vulnerable, and I was on, so I would run after them, chase them, and touch them, and then they would have to remain where they are until someone who was free could actually come and touch them and free them so they could get back to that place of safety. And I felt like God was ministering to me in that as I was preparing with, for, for this message that I feel like there are people here today who have come into this building and who have left the circle of safety, the will of God, the ways of God, the knowledge of who God is, and we've put ourselves into vulnerable positions where we've got stuck in unhelpful, unhealthy behavior and patterns and sin that has not only been harmful to us, but it's been harmful to those around us. And we've found ourselves trying in our own strength and own effort to try and get out of it. We've, we've done everything. We've done all the courses. We've watched all the videos, but something doesn't change. And I feel like, and I sense this morning, that Christ is wanting to come. And He's wanting not just to touch us physically, but He wants to touch us inwardly. That our hearts would change that we would be set free from the things that get us stuck, the things that are harmful to us, the things that separate us from God, so that we can come to a place of safety, where we can experience the peace of God, where we can experience the grace of God. Because, friends, I stand here today, not as someone who's got it all together. Can I say that again? Just because I stand on this pulpit and I preach the Word of God to you, I've got struggles in myself. There's things I want to do, and, and there's things that I would love to do, and I find myself not wanting to do those things. Does anyone else have those kind of struggles in this place? Perhaps you've walked into this building this morning, and we've sung the songs, we're sitting under the Word, but yet you, you're struggling with a porn addiction where no one else is watching. Maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart that has led you to Bitterness, and bitterness has led to division in some of your relationships, whether marriages or family or relationships or work colleagues. Maybe you have an anger issue. Sometimes we get stuck in these patterns. I believe we want to change. We should want to change. As God's people, we should want to change. And perhaps sometimes we've tried to change. Sometimes we might have even cried out to God to help me to change, but nothing that we have done has seemed to have worked. 
A question I'm sure many of us continue to still ask today who have maybe walking in some of these patterns. At times, it's, it's hard not to want to sin. Why? Because sin feels good. Imagine telling children that they could have all the sweets they wanted. Of course, that would sound amazing, but we know when kids have too much sugar, apart from being hyper, they get a tummy ache, right? And they lose their teeth as well. Yeah. Sorry to everyone with false teeth here today. You know, we are faced with temptation every single day. Bombarded on social media and all of these spaces. Sin is pleasing because it offers something to our fleshly desires, right? Fleshly desires. Why? Because it's instant gratification. If I get what I want now, uh, I get pleasure right now. However, sin promises you everything, but it leaves you with nothing. Except regret, pain, and it leaves you with the consequences of sin. See, when we leave sin unchecked or become blasé about sin in our lives, we run the risk of falling into sin over and over and over again, which leads to this destructive cycle of sin, guilt, shame, fear. I've sinned against God, I've sinned, and it leads to guilt. I've failed, I've messed up. Then it leads to shame. I wonder what people are going to think about me. And then it leads to fear. Is God going to give up on me? Is God going to forsake me? Am I still saved? Have you had questions like that running through your heart and mind? Paul says this in Galatians 5, 17, 18, and this is what we read. And he's teaching the church in Galatians about these two natures that we have as believers. And he says this, he writes this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Again, this passage is written to believers. So if you are born again, if you are saved, it says that God gives us His Holy Spirit. But when we have His Holy Spirit, we've still got our sinful nature, right? that we've put to death, and that we put to death on a daily basis. This is not just a once-off thing that we get rid of. We got to, in order to get rid of it, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. See, the Spirit of God that lives in you and I cleanses us from sin. It, it leads us to become more like Jesus it gives us new desires, the Holy Spirit, and He leads us to love the things of God in an increasing measure. If you do not believe in Christ, all you have is a sinful nature, and you are dead in your sin. And it is impossible, it is impossible, friends, to please God without the Holy Spirit, because all that we know all that we feed 
is our sinful nature. What is important about this passage is Paul says when these two natures are conflicting and fighting with one another, he says, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It's an important thing, I believe, that we have good intentions to want to overcome sin. I know in, to having good intent and actually to do something is far different, right? But there needs to be a willingness in me to want to honor God. If you don't have a willingness inside of you to honor God, I want to ask the question, where is the Spirit of God? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, when we sin, it says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In other words, when I sin as a believer, because I have a sinful nature, I have a tendency to want to sin, right? But I've got the Spirit of God in me that's leading me to the things of God. So these two natures are, are conflicting. But man, when I sin and I fall, like Jonathan Sharp at times, sins and falls. You can just ask my wife. I promise you, she'll tell you that. But when I sin and when I fall... I'm grieved. Firstly, I grieve the Holy Spirit. But then I'm grieved because I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I've dishonored God. And when I dishonor God, I'm, it leads me to want to repent, not just to acknowledge my sin, but to turn from my sin. No longer delve and dwell there and spend time there, but to turn away and to put my trust in a God who has the ability to purify me and cleanse me, and forgive me. But if I sin, and it's just okay, if I'm just okay with my life and my life of sin, he speaks about worldly grief. Are you more grieved about the things that you cannot do that are sinful to God? Because that's worldly grief. And friends, that leads, as this scripture, as we've read, to death. We serve a God who wants to bring us to life. And it comes through Jesus Christ. Are you with me? As Christians, I think at, at times we sin because we are led more by the sinful nature. Okay? So which of the two natures in our lives get victory or get control over us? It's not like we're sitting back and going, well, let's just leave it up to the spirit and my flesh and let them just, you know, fight it out. Our decisions, what we decide, what we decide to feed in our lives determines which of one of those get victory in our lives. So if you're feeding the sinful nature, if you're going into your room, and you're watching things that you shouldn't be watching, you will begin to grow an appetite for sinful patterns. But if you are led by the Spirit, as Paul says, you will starve your sinful nature. And when you starve something, it has to die. Not so. The things of God become more appealing to us. But the reality for us is this is not a once-off battle, friends. As long as we are in these broken bodies, one day I'm looking forward 
to a renewed body that Christ is going to give me. That's not subject to the things of this world because of sin, death, and sickness, and crime, and hatred. We are going to be freed, complete, glorified. In other words, sin will no longer have any dominion in our lives. How I look forward to that day. Because I realize what, without Christ, what a wretch I am. That just magnifies the wonder of who he is. We've got to feed the spirit in us, not the flesh. So what are some of the reasons why we get stuck into these patterns? Because I do think there are a couple of reasons, and this is not an exhaustive list. And I think we could stay here for weeks and weeks and talk about every single reason that is possibly seen in Scripture. But the first one is there are practical reasons why we get stuck in patterns. So, for example, if you have access to the very thing you're trying to stop, I use the example of a cell phone. If you have a lust issue or you're addicted to pornography, and yet you take your cell phone into your bedroom late at night when everyone's gone to bed, you have access to social media, you have access to the internet, you have access to your phone. That's a practical reason why you get stuck. My suggestion is leave it out your room. Give it to someone if you're struggling with that. By 8 o'clock, stop it. How serious are you about the sin in your life? Because we can stop it. It's a practical reason. There is emotional reasons. Perhaps some people have experienced trauma in their lives, in their upbringing. Trauma in, in the workplace or in relationships. And at times the way that we cope with pain is we, we numb it with possible substance abuse. You know, we have doctors that are God-given who help us when our bodies are sick. I'd like to suggest we also have people like social workers and psychologists who have the ability to help us process trauma so that we can find victory, that we don't depend on the things that are keeping us stuck, but we keep our eyes on Jesus. And we've got people in this room who have opened up their, their hearts and a willingness to walk. We are willing to walk with you. Are you willing to walk with us? Thirdly, relational reasons. In the scriptures, it says that bad company corrupts good character. I know that for me, I grew up in high school, and I had a bunch of friends that kind of led me to get in, into drinking, you know? That, that was a, it wasn't only because of them. I'm not just blaming it on them. It's, it was my own desires that wanted to do those things. But that's how they were living. And, and the truth is, I got caught up into these patterns because of the friends that I built around me. And that's what happens. Bad company corrupts good character. And so if you have a friendship circle or in a relationship or a partnership that is leading you away from Christ, my suggestion is 
love them. We want the gospel, as we've heard, to, to come to people. And we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But I would suggest, rather, for a season, step away from those relationships in order that you can find victory. Fourth reason, and I think this reason is one of the most important ones for us. It's a spiritual reason why we remain stuck in patterns. At the root of our inability to stop these destructive patterns and sin, it's not really an issue of changing some behavior. It's an issue of the heart. There is a lack in each and every one of us. Our hearts need to change. And, and sinful patterns are just a symptom of a heart that is broken, a heart that is hopelessly sick. And it's only the power of Christ that has the ability to get us unstuck, to bring new life, to give us a fresh start. Whether you're Christian or not in this building, we remain stuck in these patterns because we're trying to meet a spiritual need with something other than God, a need that only Christ can meet. And everyone has this longing. Everyone has this need. Everyone has this emptiness that God has put in us on purpose so that we would search for Him, that we would find Him, that we would come to know Him and receive all the blessing and the wonder and the grace of a merciful, gracious, and compassionate God who is holy and just, but who is loving and kind. I think for myself, friends, and I don't know about you, but at times we can't stop because we fail to believe that God's ways, His nature, His holiness is enough to satisfy us as much as giving in to sinful patterns. Is God enough for you? Is He enough for me? I can't answer that for you. There's one man in the Bible, which I would love to just use as an example, and I'm going to just paraphrase some of the Scripture, because it's a lot of Scripture. But David was an incredible man of God. God defines David as a man after my own heart. Imagine being defined by God that way. What a privilege. But David did some incredible things through God and for God. Goliath being one of those Moments, and yet this man who has the heart after God got caught up in pattern of sin that was destructive and caused others to also be impacted by his decisions. And that's what sin does. We often think that sin just impacts my life. It's just what I'm doing in secret. But more than just how it affects others, we're going to see that David actually says, after, he, after we've read through that passage, he says that I have sinned against you, God. We might be doing things to people. We might be doing things in private. But ultimately, the one we're sinning against is God. So David writes, and I want to read a, a, a Psalm 51. It's a bit of a lengthier passage. But this is his heart after he comes to his senses and he writes the psalm as his 
cried to God for help. And I want us to listen to his words, and I want us to internalize what he's saying, because it has application for us. And he writes, uh, in Psalm 51 verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Surely from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Lord, create within me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I believe there were many reasons why David fell into a pattern of sin. But the one that really struck me is in his prayer here. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He doesn't say, restore to me my salvation. What he says is, restore the joy of your salvation. Friends... When you lose your joy of your salvation, when you lose your joy of knowing Christ, when you lose the joy of knowing what Christ has done for you, done in you, and preparing for you, you have to find your joy in other areas, in something else or in someone else. And this is what unfortunately happened to David. And so we need to learn the lessons here. In 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 to 15, just as a reference, but for the sake of time, I want to read what David actually did and just kind of his descent into the sinful patterns because I think there's stuff that you can draw from that. But I would encourage you, go and read it, but also go and read chapter 12 because you see how God restores David even in the midst of his sin because that's who we serve, a restorative God. So the, the couple of things that David did. So David, in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 to 15, David stays in Jerusalem while his army is at war. So what he does is he neglects his kingly duties. We don't know why he did that. Perhaps it was comfort or complacency, whatever the reason. David put himself in a vulnerable position. And in our lives, it's not always the act of sin where ungodly behavior begins. It actually begins with the small decisions that put us into vulnerable positions. David didn't think he was going to sin. And so what happens from his palace balcony, he lustfully observes Bathsheba, another man's wife, while she is bathing. Have you wondered, oh, I'm just looking. I'm just looking. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. As men, we often say that, and oh, no, I'm just looking. But what it leads to, from the balcony, David looks, 
And then David lusts and he covets and then David wants. And so he arranges for Bathsheba to be brought to him and he commits adultery with her and then he gets her pregnant. David's now scrambling. He's, he's wanting to cover up his sin. So he gets, uh, he gets Uriah, who is the husband of Bathsheba, he gets him to come back so that he can have sex with her, so that he can pretend like this mistake, this sin, this issue has never happened. But Uriah, being a man of integrity, says, no, how can I drink and eat while my men are on the battle lines? And so he ends up sleeping among David's servants. David, a man of God, he has a man on the battlefield and he has more integrity than David does. So now David has to kick it up a notch. So what does he do? He gets him drunk and hopes that the lack of inhibition will get him to do what David expects him to do. And he doesn't. Even in his drunken state, he's got integrity. I don't know, it's crazy. But then David draws the line and he sends him out and he gives a letter to Joab, one of the commanding officers, and he, he says to put Uriah in a vulnerable place where ultimately he orchestrates his murder. That's quite a rap sheet, huh? What started with a harmless decision to stay home placed David in a vulnerable position that led him a downward spiral of coveting another man's wife, committing adultery, deceiving Uriah, and ultimately murdering Uriah. Sin is not only destructive to us and those around us, sin also has consequences, friends. As much as David was trying to cover up all of this stuff, trying to make a plan, at times that's how we are. We try to cover up. And when we begin to try and cover up, what ends up happening, we end up sinning more and more and more, and we get into these patterns. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 13 to 17, God sends Nathan, a prophet of God, and Nathan goes as a messenger of God, and he rebukes David. He rebukes him. I tell you what, I need a Nathan in my life. If you don't have a Nathan in your life, find a Nathan who can speak into your life so that we can be brought to a place of repentance so that our lives will change. You guys are laughing there. Is this, do you, do you, oh, they're looking at Nathan, literally. There's a guy called Nathan. Love it, eh? It's very cool. Quite a bit distracted, yeah. So let me just. I'm going to bring this thing to a. Cl- bring this thing. I'm going to be bringing this message to a click. Can I maybe ask the music team to come up? So in 2 Samuel 12, 13 to 17, Nathan goes and he rebukes David. And he says to David that the Lord has forgiven your sins, so you won't die, but as a consequence of his actions, the child born to him and Uriah, uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, will die. That's the consequence of his sin. And there's a whole list of other things that, that are a consequence of his decisions. I'm not saying that these things will happen to you and I, but we learn the lessons from David's life, and we must understand that there are consequences 
there are consequences to a life of sin. And the consequence, according to Scripture, is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The child that Bathsheba and David had was innocent, was blameless. Didn't do a thing. And you might think that that is incredibly unfair. But then I want to ask you a question. What about the sin in your life? And the consequence of sin in your life? Where the father had to send his only begotten son, who was perfect, who was blameless, who willingly went to the cross in our place, where Christ was crucified, where the wrath and judgment that was due us was poured out onto his only son, blameless, pure, holy, and perfect. Instead of death, God in Christ gave us life. Instead of judgment, He gave us His pardon. Instead of abandonment, He gave us adoption. Instead of justice in Christ, He gave us grace. And this is the good news. This is the good news. David understood that God was the only one who had the power to change his life. That's why he cries out, Restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The key to victory, friends, over sin is not to resolve it in our own ability, but through Christ's ability. Not in our own power, but through God's grace that He gives through Christ. I'm going to end with this. For the, it says in Titus 2, 11 to 14, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Can I maybe ask us to stand? Just where we are. However you want to respond to God. The gift that God has given us is the gift of repentance. One of the greatest gifts that we have. That we can come to Him wherever you find yourself. Maybe you've left the circle of safety and you've just got stuck. Friends, we cannot get unstuck by ourselves. We have to depend upon the grace of God. Because the grace of God not only saves us, it sustains us. The, the grace of God not only forgives us, the grace of God frees us. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Wherever you might find yourself, if you've been struggling, come to God and trust Him. I'm going to hand over to Nick.